I, I'm so lucky to work for a place that believes in community as a long-term investment. That that they're not saying, oh, there was 5% less engagement this month. We've got, we're going to cut the community or we're going to give le- fewer resources to it. That's not a thing. And I think that's a really smart move on the part of Squadcast to understand that community ebbs and flows. This grand community experiment of what it means, what place it has within a larger organization, it's really, really important to be able to see it as an overall plus to this organization. Welcome, I'm your host Dino Cattaneo and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. Last week, we spoke to Cindy Gallup about the challenges of building a venture that is driving social change in the sex tech space, and in general about her push to bring on more opportunities for female founders. Today, we have a very special guest. If you listen to the credits of the show, you've heard me mention that I record my episodes with Squadcast. Now, Squadcast is not a sponsor, and I don't get anything for sharing this information. You may wonder why I do it then. Well, first, of course, I love the product. But second, and most important, it's because of the Squad Pod, the community of Squadcast users that is managed by Ariel Nissenblatt. Ariel has done an incredible job building this community for Squadcast. And in the process, she has established herself as a recognized and vocal leader in the broader podcasting community. So I figured, who better than her to talk about how and why you will build a community? Spoiler alert, if you want to build a community, it really helps if you're very passionate about the topic that the community is built around. So you will hear a lot about podcasting. Enjoy. Let's start by giving my listeners background, what you're doing now and a little bit of your story. I am the head of community and content at Squadcast FM, which is a remote recording platform that we are recording on right now. I listen to tons of podcasts every single day, and I'm just a really big advocate for the podcast community, independent podcasters, network podcasters. I want more people to listen to podcasts. So I started a podcast recommendation newsletter almost six years ago that each week is curated by a different person and anyone can curate a list. And that's called Earbuds Podcast Collective. I also talk about ad tech and the business of podcasting on the Sounds Profitable Ad Tech Applied Podcast. I'm a founder of the Podcast Taxonomy, which is an international multidisciplinary effort to standardize roles and credits in the podcast space. And I do a few other things. I do PR and marketing for podcasts. I really just try to stay on top of as much as I can. How did your interest for podcasting start? Because obviously that's a a really big part of your story. I started listening to podcasts right after college. I actually had a really nice group of coworkers at my first job after college. And we all sort of consumed the same media so that we could talk about it. And Serial came out around that time. And we started talking about Serial. And I at first was hesitant to listen to Serial because I wanted to be different. I wanted to not listen to the same thing that everybody else was listening to. And so I waited a few months and then I finally listened and I was like, what took me so long? This is amazing. I thought it was just so captivating and such an interesting way to pass the time because during that job, we would travel a lot and we would drive to different synagogues throughout the South in the US. The job was in Mississippi. And if the drive was less than eight hours, we would drive it. And if it was more, then we would fly. But uh, that meant a lot of driving time. And so I 
really got used to being entertained by way of audio. And then after that job finished, it was a two-year job. I moved to LA and was stuck in traffic all the time and continued listening to podcasts and was just realizing that I was entertained in a way that I'd never been entertained before. It captivated me in ways that reading had not, that TV had not. Audio just does it for me. Obviously, there's millions and millions of people that are listening and enjoy audio. But going from that passion to not only looking for a job in the industry, but actually starting to be an overall advocate for the industry, uh, you know, that's a step that not many people take. What led you to think about the next steps? Was it an organic growth or? When I started Earbuds Podcast Collective in 2017, my goal was to be paid to work in the podcast space. I had... Before that, like I said, worked for nonprofits and was just not fulfilled. I did not like it. <laughs> and yeah, I wanted to find something that I was passionate about. And in college, I was passionate about geography. I studied geography. So I knew what it felt like to be passionate about studies or about disciplines. But I just wasn't finding it. And I thought about going into geographic information systems, mapping and demographics. I was very interested in that, but my brain is not very math oriented and I would have had to do a lot of work. And I'm not, I'm not saying I won't do it in the future. I am, I still leave a little path open for a crossover between podcasting and, and mapping and demographics. And I actually, I can get into this later, but I think that my background in geography and demographics has a lot to do with why I'm so naturally inclined to marketing, but we'll get into that. Anyway, I really wanted to feel the passion that I felt for maps and for travel and for cartography and things like that. And I felt that when I started listening to podcasts. So I, I said, let me lean into this. Let me see if there's something there. And it was hard at first because in LA, the only people I knew in the podcast space were producers or executive producers. Nobody really was on the business side of things. And while I did have aspirations to be on the creative side as a producer or as a host or as a, you know, editor, it was really hard to find entry-level jobs. I would have had to take an unpaid internship or luck my way into an interview at a place that was hiring people right out of college who were studying broadcast journalism. That was not me. So I instead decided to start this podcast recommendation newsletter in hopes that, number one, I would find new podcasts to listen to. Number two, I could connect with people in the podcast space. And number three, I could eventually monetize that newsletter maybe or use it to make more connections. And so what happens next? You start a newsletter? I start a newsletter. I find out about podcast movement. I email podcast movement and I say, I do not have the money to come, but I would love to come because it was in Anaheim and I was in LA. Can I advertise in my newsletter in exchange for a free ticket? And they said yes. And that opened up so many doors for me. I went to the event in August of 2017 and I was just so eager. <laughs> I had a backpack on and I was just taking all the free swag from the tables. And I just made a lot of connections. I'm still friends with a lot of those people to this day. Two of the connections I made there have resulted in full-time jobs. So really, like I, I can trace it all back to that, <laughs> that conference. All right. So you got from the conference, you said two of the connection resulted on full-time job. Is one of those the Squadcast job that you have right now? Indirectly, yes. So technically, for me and for Squadcast, that event in Anaheim was our first podcast event. We are sure that we met there because I know that I went around to every single table. We don't remember specifically meeting each other, but yes, I, I trace it back to that. You started work at uh, Squadcast, building a community. Did you have any experience building communities before? 
Yes, but not in the sense that I would call it community building in the past. But yes, I've been building communities for a very long time. I always like to program my the activities that I do with friends. I always like to get together with people and have a goal in mind. I've been building community events for a long time with earbuds. So yes, I've definitely been building communities for a long time. But this job, calling it, when I started, I was the community manager. I started in 2020. And I looked at it as an extension of marketing, but with an emphasis towards customer satisfaction, right? So you want your customers to be so happy with you at Squadcast that they want to be part of a community, that they want to wear it on their sleeve, that they're part of the squad pod, right? So when I started in 2020, I started, quote unquote, building this community, but the community had existed. Squadcast had been in existence since 2016. So my job was to figure out what it meant to put a label on it, to call it a community, to ask the people in this community if they wanted to be labeled. Because, of course, there's the overall Squadcast customer base, and that's technically a community. But then there's the people who actually want to opt in to be called a community and to be part of these extra events that we do for you. So what I started doing was figuring out how individuals wanted to be involved. Do they want a newsletter? If they want a newsletter, how do they want to be represented in that newsletter? Um, if there is an opportunity on social media to highlight individuals within the community, what does that look like? So I started just by asking a lot of questions. And full disclosure, I've been a very happy member of the community from the inception, and I've observed you being incredible at building the community. And that's the reason, one of the many reasons why I have asked you to be here, because I always thought if I had an SAS business and I wanted to build a community, this is how I would go about it. So as you started thinking about how to build the community, what were some of the goals that you set up for yourself? And did you have any specific goals? I have goals that I always look back to to make sure that we're on the right track. Uh, for example, I don't have any number goals. I never say I, I need X number of people in the Slack channel. I need X amount of engagement in the Slack channel. I do think that that is important down the line and that it is important to be tracking these types of things. And, you know, I do have the, the systems in place to be able to retroactively mark down the engagement and the growth over the years. I don't actively track that. And for me, I, I'm so lucky to work for a place that believes in community for as a long-term investment, you know, that, that they're not saying, oh, there was 5% less engagement this month. We've got, we're going to cut the community or we're going to give fewer resources to it. That's not a thing. And I think that's a really smart move on the part of Squadcast to understand that community ebbs and flows. And this grand community experiment of what it means, what place it has within a larger organization, it's really, really important to be able to see it as an overall plus to this organization. So what do I look at? I look at how many people are submitting squad shots. I look at how many people want to send us their pre-roll ads. How many people are tweeting nice things to us and saying not just, oh, Squadcast worked well, but also customer service was amazing. And I attended this event and now I associate my podcast growth with Squadcast, right? Like those are all great things to me. And those are not necessarily things that I can tally up and say, oh, this, we had this percentage growth because of X, Y, and Z. So those are some of the things that I'm looking for when, I, when I'm considering, have I been successful this month or this year? 
what I find really interesting in the answer that you gave is that you started out by saying, I'm lucky that I'm working for a company that looks at the community as a plus. For a company that's thinking about, okay, I want to build a community. What are some of the options in terms of thinking? What's the role that you want the community to play in service of the business? I think a lot of people lately are quote unquote, starting communities because they hear that it's a thing that you should be doing. I would encourage you to see your business as already having had a community, but you just need to find out if that community wants to be defined. I think that's a really big part of it. I think avoid the buzziness of community because think about it like this. How many SaaS products do you subscribe to? How many podcasts do you listen to? How many newsletters do you read? All of those different entities probably are quote unquote, creating communities at some point. And that is way too many communities for one person to be a part of. So don't encourage everybody to be part of the same community in the same way for every single product. It's got to function differently. For example, I, I, I think like McDonald's can have a community and they can have multiple different communities. One community that I think would be really useful for McDonald's to have would be for them to have a beta tester community, right? Where people can opt in to receive chicken nuggets ahead of time and, and to taste test. That's not necessarily something that McDonald's needs to be shouting from the rooftops, but it is something that the people who are selected to be part of this beta community, it would increase their overall love of this product, right? And communities can function differently because then McDonald's can say, okay, we have these 100,000 people scattered throughout different cities in the US who are all beta testing our chicken nuggets. Now we know that they don't really work in the Pacific Northwest. It's not really working with the flavor palette there, but it is really working in Louisiana. And you can take that information and not only are you fulfilling a need for the community because these people feel special and they're evangelizing the product, but also it allows McDonald's to do some testing, right? So that is a, a more functional community. Whereas there might be another community that is just a Facebook group for a podcast about being sober. And in that Facebook group, people just share their stories. And that's a community too. So the word community is very, very wide reaching at this point. And I would just encourage leadership at different companies to take the time to figure out how their community wants to be defined. And if it wants to be defined, are there special interest groups within that? As you thought about building the community for Squadcast, what were some of like the key tactical elements that you felt like, okay, we need to have this, we need to have this, we need to have this for the community to be operational? The first thing I did was we'd already been sending out a weekly email to everybody in who had ever given us their email address at Squadcast. And that was, we called it Squadcast Weekly. It was, we would share podcast news, we would share Squadcast news, we would share events, resources, a Squadcast podcast of the week, and some, some more information here and there. And so what I did was I started posting in that group, do you want to be part of the squad pod? We're experimenting and we want to figure out if you want to be part of this squad pod. And you're smiling because you probably remember these early emails. And you do. <laughs> I started sending out those emails and a lot of people shared that they were interested. So I then emailed all of those people and I said, great, let's meet on Zoom. And on Zoom, I recorded, I took notes and I had somebody else from the Squadcast team there to basically be a, a second set of eyes and ears and figure out what these people want. And so then from there, we sent out a survey and we said, where do you want to meet? How often do you want to meet? Do you want to have a leadership role? And like, what does community mean to you? These are the questions that we had them answer. And what we landed on was a Slack channel 
and the Slack channel stays active. And then we have events every once in a while. And you know what? That was a year and a half ago. And it's probably worth revisiting to see if there are new people who want to be more involved or if there are people who were involved that no longer are involved and maybe they should be clean from the Slack channel. There's there's a lot to consider when it comes to community maintenance. Like, for example, some people join because they're at the beginning of their podcast journey and they need help. Other people join because they've been podcasting for a while and they're looking for community. So lots of people join for lots of different reasons, but that's how I went about choosing the technical aspects of it. So as you were thinking about your key partners inside Squadcast, which were some of the key teams that you felt in order for the community to be successful, these are the teams that I need to get involved, that I need to get support from? Because the Squadcast team is pretty small, we're a startup, I work with every single aspect of the team. Every aspect of community is connected to another aspect within. So for example, let's let's talk about support. I run social media because a lot of social media has to do with community. I highlight a lot of our community members on social media. So I'm on social media a lot and we get a lot of support questions, right? So we get a lot of this isn't working or, hey, I I sent an email to the the support channel. I'm wondering when I'm going to hear back. And so I do a lot of, hey, we emailed you back. You should check your spam. (laughs) So sometimes it really is me filling in for support in some ways, being the face of social media. But then let's go to content. So I touched on social media a tiny bit, but I'm constantly creating content on social media. And then we have a podcast and that podcast is, it pretty much relies on our community. Every week on our podcast, we feature an episode of a podcast that was recorded on Squadcast. So we will feature, did we did we feature you yet? We'd love to feature you. <laughs> I've been featured. Hell yeah. So not only do we feature full-length episodes, we do feed drops of Squadcast recorded podcasts, but we also, before every episode, we do a pre-roll ad. So it'll say, before we get to this week's episode of the Squadcast podcast, I want to tell you about authentic leadership for everyday people. My name's Dino Catano, and here's what this podcast is about. Okay, let's get to this week's episode of the Squadcast podcast. So we do that every single episode. So community, very much hand-in-hand with content in that way. Um, we also do events and some of the, some of those events have a budget. So yes, I'm definitely in touch with our finance department. Uh, we just did an event in New York city two weeks ago with Gotham production studios. It was really awesome. And of course we had a food budget and a wine budget and we, we made it happen and it was great. I am in touch with our design department because I often ask for input from the squad pod as to, you know, sometimes like pretty consequential decisions. Like what color do you prefer? Do you like light mode or dark mode? Should that be a choice? And we ask those questions of you all because we want to know you're a stand-in for some of our users. And of course, we recognize that the majority user base cannot be represented by the 300 people who have opted in to be part of the squad pod. But I also welcome more people to be part of the squad pod so that we can be more representative. <laughs> Is there any big decision in in terms of product design that has happened that you think like, oh, that's something that originated from an idea in the community? Oh, yeah. It literally happened this week. We just had a big update go out. Zach is calling it, uh, our founder, Zach Moreno, is calling it a minor update, but it's really not minor at all. We now allow the host of the session to change the equipment of their guest. And of course, the guest has to accept or decline that. We're not just going to let you go into somebody's computer and make changes on their behalf. But that really helps people who might not be as tech savvy 
to be able to figure out what microphone they should be hooked up to. And that came directly from the community. So yes, we we really do take the input of people who are who are paying us. That is fabulous. And so how is the product team leveraging the community? Constantly asking me questions and then asking me to ask questions. But my thing as the community manager is, hey, product team, get into the Slack channel and ask questions. As you think about the role of the community within a smaller company, what are the extra benefits that a smaller company gains by engaging early with the community and building a community early? Community is marketing, but with an aim towards getting your customer base to love your product so much that they want to tell more people about it. So if you get the community right, you don't have to hire as many marketing people or they really are doing the marketing for you. So you're saving money (laughs) by really taking the time to figure out what your community wants, making it so that they love the product and then making it so that they want to tell the world about the product. That is a lot of what marketing does. And of course, we have a marketing manager. She's amazing. Her name is Kim. (laughs) And she does more of the technical stuff. She does more of like our Facebook ad buys. She does, you know, partnerships and things like that with other companies. But I would say I do more of like the the people side of, of marketing. So the social media, the asking you what you want, and then figuring out how you're going to tell somebody else about that. That's all marketing that all falls into this, this big bucket of getting people to love the product. Another thing that I think is unique about you specifically as a community manager of a product that serves the podcast industry is that you're actually a pretty vocal member of the podcast community at large. How does two roles overlap for you? And sort of what are your two goals in the two different worlds? Everything that I do goes back to Squadcast in some way. And I, I recognize that I'm a reflection of Squadcast. So every every ma- move that I make, every board that I join, every podcast that I appear on, I hopefully get a chance to talk about why I love Squadcast so much, both from the product perspective and also from working there. I'm working with the best team ever. <laughs> My bosses, Zach and Rock, are the nicest guys ev- ever. They really are just the most understanding, caring bosses that I've had. And it's a pleasure to work for them. Yeah, I'm lucky to work for a company that sees all of my extracurriculars, such as guesting on podcasts, being on boards, things like that, as assets to Squadcast. So everything that I do, everything that I learn, I bring back to Squadcast. If I'm on a podcast and I learn that, for example, Spotify is doubling down on uh, video content, then I can take that back to the team and I can say, oh, check this out. Spotify is doubling down on video content. That means we might have an influx of people who want to record video at high quality. Let's prepare for that. Thinking about your transition from driving around the South for nonprofits pretty quickly in a role that is actually very visible and exposed to a lot of people. And when you're you're leading a lot without formal authority. How do you think about influencing and what were some of the key moments in your life that you feel helped you do what you're doing? That's a really fun question. I, over the years, have fluctuated between shy and uh, and now I'm just like a loud person. I, when I was little, I was shy. My aunt remembers that I like, didn't talk and she thought that there was something wrong with me. <laughs> And now I can't shut up. I love talking. I love entertaining. I 
have taken on various leadership roles throughout the years. And in different aspects of my life, I am more of a leader than others. Sometimes I step back, sometimes I step up. The podcast space is one in which I am very happy to step up. It's a place that I have really been working hard to build my reputation in. I try to stay active. I try to stay helpful. That's a really, really big part of it is, you know, I wake up and I think on Twitter, like, what can I post today that will help somebody with their podcast? So that's sort of how I see my role is how can I be an advocate for the podcast community? How can I get more people creating? But more importantly to me is how can I get more people listening? Because ultimately, the reason I started in the podcast space was because I loved listening to podcasts. I loved discovering that I could listen to shows, listen to news, listen to stories of other people and be exposed to their world. And I want more people to experience that. So that's, I think that's really what motivates me. So you came into this role as a community manager with a lot of passion for the podcast industry, but initially maybe not in your background, if I understand correctly, initially there wasn't a lot of like business experience before you started in the podcast industry. Oh yeah, not at all. I was 24. How did you start getting the balance between your passion for the podcast and the content and then really understanding the business side of it and and connecting actions to things that ultimately generate business results for, you know, Squadcast and wherever you were working before? What were some of like the big challenges in that process? I grew up thinking that I was terrible at math and that really destroyed my confidence for a long time. I still struggle with that. I I was born in 1992, so in the early 2000s, I think education, and I, this might still really be the case for elementary school, middle school, even high school, I think a lot of traditional education is visually focused, and we're taught that if you can't really sit in front of a classroom and look at a board all day and grasp that information, absorb that information, then you're a problem child, you know, like, why is she getting this? So I thought that that was a problem. And then I just learned that I probably have ADHD, like, <laughs> there are other ways to learn. <laughs> and so when I discovered podcasts, that was really, really big for me. Because now I can take in the information that I wasn't able to take in before. And I can synthesize it, and I can then apply it to my life, and I can share it with others. And that's something that has really, really helped me. I listen to podcasts about business. I listen to podcasts about entrepreneurship, economics, ideas. And then I read podcast publications. So sometimes half the battle is just being aware of what's going on and being able to have an opinion on that, that you really believe and that you can back up. So people come to me and ask me, should I have the creating video for my podcast? I can give you a pretty informed answer as to why you should or why you shouldn't based on what your podcast is about, how much time you have, the resources you have, if you have a budget. I'm not doing that from, let me look at your analytics, let me look at your bottom line. I'm doing that from, here's what I know, here's what I know about the business, here's what I know about your podcast, here is an educated guess. So I'm definitely, st I still don't consider myself mathematically inclined. I'm not gonna ever opt to look at a spreadsheet to be able to analyze. That's not me. I will delegate that responsibility. I do think it's important. It is not for me. <laughs> I can look at it more from a people perspective. You know, not, not many people start with this idea that they acknowledge the fact that something is important and that it's not their skill and then they want to delegate it. When did you start sort of forming that process? Right when I learned the word delegate, honestly. <laughs> I, I thought you had to be all things 
all the time. And for a while, I think a lot of people experience this. I was upset that I couldn't be 100%, but nobody's 100%. And I mean, I think about this all the time when it comes to, I'm not a morning person. I wish I was a morning person, but I also wish I was a night person. I can't be. You can't be both. <laughs> you just be up all the time. So I recognize that I do my best work at like 10 p.m. And yes, I, I wake up and I work. It's not my most focused period of time, but I still work at that time. But I think it's important to recognize where you where you fall short and where you can possibly pass that off. I I run Earbuds Podcast Collective. And about two years ago, I started hiring recent college grads to help me do the day-to-day, to do the building of the newsletter, to sometimes do social posts, sometimes write my scripts for my weekly podcast recommendation podcast. And part of that, all of that is delegating. It's me figuring out what I can give up and give them an opportunity to shine in. And it's been really fun because I've gotten to work with people, mostly young women, who have an interest in audio. And I would have loved this job if I were them at that time. And that's really what motivates me to make that job really exciting for them. So where um, Earbuds Collective now? What's the goal of the business and what's your role in it? So the way Earbuds works is that each week is curated by a different person. Anyone can curate a list. You bring me five podcast episodes on a theme. And as a curator, if you have a podcast, you can include one of your own episodes as part of that podcast. When I started it in 2017, the goal was to find more podcasts for me to listen to because I was listening to the same five or 10 every week and I loved them and they were blowing my mind, but I wanted to have my mind blown constantly all the time with new podcasts because I knew even at the time in 2017, there were hundreds of thousands of podcasts. How could I possibly ever have the time to listen to all of them? I won't, but I can get curated lists that will bring me closer to that. So I figured that if you have your five favorite podcasts, I have mine. My friend over there has his my friend over there has hers. We could go on all day. We're going to always have something really great to listen to. And then I started figuring out that a lot of people who want to curate these lists also have their own podcasts and want to get their podcast out into the world. Fine. Just build your list around that. So a few months in, I started figuring out how I could potentially monetize it with advertisements. So now I have a pretty robust system where you can buy a title sponsorship, meaning that it would be in the the subject line of the email. So Earbuds Podcast Collective with the name of your podcast. I have the ability for you to buy uh, what I call an Earbuddy sponsorship. <laughs> so you get a little blurb at the top of the email. And I have a newsletter sponsorship where you get a, a blurb at the bottom of the email. And all of these also get ads uh, in the podcast. So you get two for one. So the business now, it's a monetized newsletter. And that is definitely not something that my parents thought it would be when I when I told them that I was doing this a few years ago, you're spending so much time on this. Is it worth the investment? Yes, now it is. And that's great. It was not for a while, but I still believed, I mean, monetarily, it was not for a while, but it was definitely, it got me jobs. Running this newsletter got me jobs, gets me jobs to this day. People still look to me and they say, you know, I love what you do with earbuds. I think initiative is so important. I look for initiative when I'm hiring people. You know, do you do things outside of what you're planning to do for me that show that you're passionate about this or that you're passionate about something, right? So yes, what is the goal for the newsletter? To keep doing what I'm doing. I love curating these lists. I love that I can look back five years ago and find lists on literally whatever the hell you're looking for because it's been five years of putting out weekly email newsletters on a theme. So like, give me a theme and we probably have a list on it. And if we don't, you should curate a list for us. My goal is to make the website a little cleaner. Right now, it is not the most searchable thing in the world because I built it myself using Squarespace with a code from a podcast that I love. 
in 2017. So I need help with that. So things like that I am working on and I would love help on that. So if anybody's listening and is really good at website management and things like that, please let me know. I want to close the quote unquote business part of the conversation with a question that was prompted by something you said in your answer about the newsletter, which is that for a while it wasn't financially profitable. And then at some point it became Uh, many people would love the idea of having a podcast. Many people think that it's easy to make a lot of money at podcasts. We both know that's not the fact. What are some of the ways when somebody starts, wants to start a podcast, what are some of the ways that are not necessarily tied to a financial return that they can think about whether it's worth for them to put the time that it takes to create and, and keep going a podcast? Number one, you get to interview people that you might not be able to reach otherwise. Number two, if this is important to you, you get to practice your interview skills and be on the mic. That's fun. Number three, you are creating something that you can put on your website and that contributes to your business. Number four, you can practice your creativity skills if that is something that you like to do. It's fun. Number five, number six, maybe you're selling a course and your podcast is a lead into your course. Maybe you're selling a book and your podcast is a lead into your book. I could go on all day. There's so, so many things. Like, I think you should never start a podcast thinking I want to make money from the podcast. I I don't think you do that for, for a blog. I don't think you do that for a YouTube channel. I think if you are doing that, that's great. But you really, you really need to make sure that you are the best at what you're doing. Like, for example, Harry Duran, I know you know him. He started a podcast because he knew that he could get ad dollars from it. He started a podcast about vertical farming because he makes the vertical farming podcast. And that is cool as hell. But I don't know anything about vertical farming. So I'm not going to do that. Right. So somebody asked me on Twitter the other day, can you help me start a podcast? And I was like, sure. What does that mean, though? Like, what does that mean to you? And they were like, well, do I have to have a podcast about a specific topic or can I just talk about anything? And I was like, do you like something? Make it about that. Like, what are you passionate about? Do you like anything or do you just want to talk? If you want to talk, that is fine. Start a podcast just to talk, but don't expect tons of people to flock to you unless you're famous or unless you somehow figure out a way to be so captivating. That's fabulous. If people want to find you, where should they go online? You can Google Ariel Nissenblatt, and I should come up. If I don't, and if it's somebody else, please let me know who that is, because as far as I know, I'm the only one. Okay, great. And then Earbuds Collective, what's the website for Earbuds Collective? Earbuds.audio, easy peasy. Fabulous. All right. Now we're going to the personal questions. The first question is, do you have a passion outside of work? (sighs) Such a good question. (laughs) Podcasts are my passion outside of work. Seriously, I will give you another passion that I have, but like, I think the reason that I, that, that I wake up every day and I'm so excited is because podcasts are my personal and my professional love. I love them because you can listen to podcasts professionally and you can listen to podcasts for personal reasons. They just blow my mind all the time. Other things that I love. I love trains. I love the interstate highway system. I love transportation in general. I'm just very interested in it. I love how things connect. I also love rivers. So like that also sort of has to do with that. Just like the connection of goods and people is always interesting to me. I love history sort of along the same lines. Uh, Weirdly, I love studying ancient Mesopotamia. I don't know why that just came to my brain, but it's true. I know these are like very disparate, weird, random interests that I have, but it's true. (laughs) Well, I'm really fascinated by the fact that you seem to be 
drawn to things that are all about connecting places that are far away. And then you end up professionally building communities. I love rivers. Like people love to travel. They're like, oh, are you a beach person or a city person when you travel? And I'm like, rivers, send me to a river. (laughs) So there's that. I also, I play soccer in my spare time. I used to be really good. I played in high school and I was really good. And then I have not played in a while because I broke my elbow about a year and a half ago. Rollerblading. Rollerblading was a big passion of mine, but I haven't been on rollerblades since. So I'm sad about that. A little bit of a loss of identity there. What else do I like? I love travel. I'm going to Berlin this weekend and then I'm going to London. I I love one of the things that I do when I travel. Again, like, are you a beach person or are you a city person? I'm a difference traveler. Like, one of my favorite things to do is be like, oh, this cement is different from the cement back at home. The font on on these highway systems is a little different from the font on my highway system that I'm familiar with. And I don't know what that is and where that comes from, but (laughs) I'm really interested in that kind of thing when it comes to travel. This is a fun question. That could be enough. (laughs) Next question is, there are every era has business practices, cliches, expressions that at some point are so overused that they lose meaning. What is the expression that drives you crazy? That podcasts are an intimate medium. Expand. Yes. A lot of people love to say, oh, podcasts, the reason that they're so great is because they're so intimate because you really get to hear from your favorite hosts and you get to have a window into their lives. Yeah, that's true. I just hear it so much that I'm bored. (laughs) Find another word. Final question. Food for the soul or food for the body. You can choose. You can either tell me a dish or a drink that you really love or if we're going to go the soul route, book piece of music, movie, piece of art, play, something that inspires you. I have a favorite book, which is weird because I said before, I do not like reading. There is one book that I go back to every few years because I love it because it captures my attention every single time. It's called Born to Run by Christopher McDougall. It's amazing. It's so good. It is about, and this is so weird because I'm not passionate about running at all. But every time I read this book, it makes me want to become a runner. It's about how humans were evolutionarily made to run. It is because when, back in prehistoric times, when we had to, when we were hunting and gathering, we didn't really have any special skills. We didn't have particularly sharp teeth. We didn't have the ability to camouflage ourselves. What we did have was the ability to run and run and run, not just short distances, but long distances. Humans could run 80 miles a day. And so what they would do was they would chase their prey and eventually the prey would drop dead because they can't run 80 miles and then we would attack them. And that is how we survived. And so this book is about the quest for this man who's really tall to become a runner because ultimately people are supposed to be runners. That's why we have butts. So I just love this book. That's a fabulous way to close this conversation. Ari, it's great to have you here. I want to thank you for everything you've done for the community. And as a podcaster, I've benefited tremendously from being a member of the Squadcast community and I am going to keep benefiting from it. So hell yeah. Thank you and to the Squadcast team. Thank you, Dino. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell all your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. 
And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Good Pods or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating or a review, and possibly a stellar rating or a review. Remember to stay tuned, because at the end of the credits, I will play another song by Susan Cattaneo, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters and currently nominated for Singer-Songwriter of the Year at the Boston Music Awards. Ariel has already mentioned where to find her, and if you want more information and links, go to the podcast website, al4ep.com with the number four. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. On Twitter and Instagram, look for at al4edp. And on Facebook, look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. As you have heard many times already today, it was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, arranged, and recorded by Nicolas Cattaneo who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Salvarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. Now, given Ariel's love for Rivers, today's song by Susan is her co-write and duet with Mark Arelli. The River Always Wins from the album The Hammer and the Heart. Enjoy. It ain't ever been the same way since